Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. I'm going to ask a very obvious question, but I'm going to ask the question nonetheless. Have you ever been in a huge, monstrous drag-out fight with a friend or a group of friends? Those really bad, angry, you say a bunch of stuff, all the married people are just sitting there really tense right now, and they're like, wait, don't talk about marriages. Okay, I'm going to talk about marriages. In your marriage, have you ever had that time where somebody is sleeping on the couch for an extended period of time? Super awkward. You don't even know what to say when you see the person. You get those really angry text messages, or they become very curt, right? Like, are you going to the store? Yes, period. And if you don't know about texting, I just learned about this from Generation Z. When you put a period, it's a bad thing. Isn't that weird? Like, you know, proper English and grammar. Now, if you put a period, it's like, yes, period, right? Um, You know what I'm talking about. So let's go back to some scenarios. Let's say that you are caught in this ring of gossip, and your friend told you something, and you promised, I will never repeat this to another soul. Pinky swear, right? And then you just so happen you're at lunch, and someone says something like, oh, did you hear that so-and-so did this? And then this rumor mill starts going around, and then all of a sudden you find out that your best friend told everybody. And let's say you're in high school, and you're walking down the hallways, and you just mean mug. You know, uh, in, in my terminology, I coach uh, girls' sports. I call it mean girling, right? So you just get that really, like, you stare at them as they walk by. Um, and so you know what I'm talking about, that mean, angry, our friendship is broken moment. But let's also talk about that one big no-no, the guy, your best friend, when you're in school or college that steals your girlfriend. Your best friend, like you're dating this girl, and maybe it's kind of broken up a little bit, and then your best friend starts like talking to your girl, and then all of a sudden you have all this drama that starts to ensue, and all of this pain starts just going all over the place. And in all these scenarios, no matter how we put them down, you're left with this high leveling of anxiety that makes you really sick to your stomach. And then there's those stupid fights, the ones where you don't remember how they started. They're just dumb. But for some reason, you don't like somebody. And so you remember later on, I don't like so-and-so, but you can't remember what really started it. But again, seeing the person creates a level of anxiety in you in which you're like, I don't like this feeling. So if you're antisocial, you're like, I don't care. I love this feeling, right? Uh, I'm extremely extroverted. And so in my world, like relationships can really bring me up and down. And I can feel the tension when there's any sort of anxiety between me and another person. So a big question starts to come up in these scenarios. We ask the question, can I fix the relationship? Is there a way to fix this? Are we beyond repair? And so let's say you have those moments, no matter what your scenario is, where you sit down with that person after all this time and you want to fix the relationship. Maybe there's tears. Maybe there's just a lot of staring. But really, you're trying to come to this answer to the question, are we cool? Are we cool? Now, that's my version of saying things, but is our relationship okay? Are we in right standing yet? Um, are, we, are, we, are we okay? Are we okay? You were my best friend. You were my spouse. You were my favorite coworker. Some stupid stuff happened between us. And now I got to ask the question, 
Are we okay? Now, that depends a lot on your gender. If you're a boy, it looks very, very different than if you're a girl. Uh, if you can see on this meme here, I'm going to show you here. Uh, boys, we fight and we're happy. Girls fight and 20 years later, they still hate each other. Uh, pretty much as accurate as it gets. As a boy, uh, when we got into fights, we would punch each other in the face, and yet we're playing Legos later that day. Um, girls, when they get in fight, or females, they just process things a little bit. And dudes, if you didn't know this, this is free for you today, bro. Um, uh, girls just process things differently, and it's harder, and there can be a tension there. So even our gender can help to dictate how do we get to that fixed relationship of are we cool? No matter what, no matter what the situation is, when we have relationships, we're going to have problems, no matter what they are, whether they're friendships, whether they're coworkers, whether they're spouses, whether they're church people. When there are relationships involved, there's going to be problems because, well, we're just human, and, and we are the problem. You have been the problem in some people's stories, and you have been the victim of a problem in other stories. And so today, we're going to look at a huge topic that can be so confusing. So, so confusing, because in our relationships among others, we tend to have a pretty good concept of, are we cool? Um, is our relationships all, all right? But when it comes to God, we get really, really confused. Really confused. Because the big question, and the super confusing, like, are we cool, God? Are we cool? Are we all right? Are we in right standing? Are you mad at me? Like, I can't really talk to you and go face to face. Are you mean girling me? Do you like me? I did some bad things, or now are you mad at me? And so depending on your religious background and your story, you have a concept inside of your own mind of, am I cool with God? Depending on your story. So depending on if you grew up in the church world, let's say you grew up in a church environment in which in your mind and what you feel like you have been taught is that when I do something wrong, God's mad at me. So in a lot of way, he's like a moody teenager that when I mess up, now God doesn't like me. And so you're always filled with this guilt and shame of like, I have to do things for God to like me. And the more that I do, the more that he's going to like me. But the problem is that it's always in, out, in, out, in, out. Some of us come from a religious background in which we believe God always forgives me no matter what I do so I can live my life however I want. Like, I'm cool with God, so now I'm just going to go and live and do anything that I want in the world because how I live doesn't matter because my status with God is cool. There's some of us in here who have no religious background at all or church background who are asking this question, I don't even know what you're talking about. I, I know that there's a God. I refer to him as the big man in the sky. Um, I think there's angels who play harps on, on, on clouds, and I think he likes me, but I think that he's doing a really bad job because the world sucks. Like, you have your own concept of what's going on inside of this. And so, as I've always said, and if you're new here today or newer to watching us online, uh, I want to always go back to the Bible because the Bible's smarter than I am. So, inside of scriptures, we're going to actually find a really cool answer to this, but there's going to be a big, huge, confusing thing we've got to first address. And this is it. We are all born into a you're not cool with God scenario. Every single human is born into we're not okay. And you think of this like, okay, you're telling me that that sweet little baby with 10 fingers and 10 toes and it's all, you know, shiny and beautiful and smells so good and all those sorts of things, um, like that little baby is born into a problem. And the answer is yes. That baby is born into the problem. 
Because the problem isn't about the baby, the problem is about the curse that's on humanity. So we go back to the Garden of Eden. This is so, so important for you to understand, to understand our, con- our context today. We go back to the Garden of Eden, the story in which humans chose to disobey God. We made the choice to disobey God, and we're not going to blame them. We're just going to blame all of you here today because you're still continuing to disobey God, okay? So they were the beginning of the problem. You're continuing the problem, which shows that the curse is on us. If this wasn't a true statement, we would not be creating evil in the world, and evil would be gone because we would have eradicated it. But we brought evil into the world when Adam and Eve did the first sin. So the first sin starts a cascade of a problem where a curse of God is now on us, saying this, I cannot be with you anymore because you were made in my image, you were made for a purpose, you are children of God, and in the scripture, God breathes life into humans, you are set apart from all of creation, and you did the one thing I asked you not to do. And so now the mess has started. And so in the very beginning, humans get out of the chute and they already disobey God which now is a curse upon all of humanity, including us today. That curse is hard to understand, and we can say, well, that's not fair, God, but I want us to understand we started the fight with God. He didn't start the fight with us. We started the fight with him. He created us perfect. He created his world perfect. I love this. If you read Genesis, I love I made this. I love that I made this. And inside of this beautiful creation, as humans come to be a part of the story, Evil enters the world because of us. We are the problem. And if that's the first time hearing that, that can be a little bit shocking to think, wait a minute, there's so much evil in the world, how can God let it happen? Really the problem is, why would God let you live when you continue to be evil? Because we are the problem. So if we are the problem, this starts in the beginning, and the curse of God is on all of humanity, and we started a fight with God, The question now begs, what do we do to be cool? What can I do? Like, what in the world can I do with God so that I am okay with him? We're going to go into the scriptures today, Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 to 21. Uh, If you use Bible apps, iPads, or whatever, we'll also have it on the screen behind us. Um, Galatians chapter 2, very, very, very important, important passage we're reading today, 15 to 21 says this, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified, once you hear that word justified, we're going to talk about that today, is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then would I really be, I would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ did nothing. If you're just joining us into our story in Galatians, you're sitting back like, those are a lot of words, bro, and I have no idea what you're saying. So I'm going to walk you through it and also catch you up if you've been gone for a few weeks. Book of Galatians, for two weeks we've been exploring this main theme, and Paul has been instructing the churches in Galatia. So Galatia was a territory, and he was a church planter, and so He started these churches, and then he would move on to plant more churches, and he would write letters back to instruct them. So he would get reports back of what's 
happening. He's a mobile CEO, if you will, right? So he's getting these reports back. And as his reports are starting to come back, he's hearing things that are happening in these churches. And Galatia had a very specific issue that was going on. Their specific issue is that the Jewish people were, who accepted Christ as their Savior, they had their tradition and their culture of following the law, and the law would be the Old Testament. 613 different laws were held by the Jewish people. Jesus comes and he says, I've taken care of all that because the law was a placeholder to help remind everybody that they needed a Savior to save them because they couldn't keep the laws. So, 613, these people are already here. New people are coming to faith in Jesus, and they're Gentiles. So all of our non-Jewish friends here today, you would be considered a Gentile, or you would be a lawbreaker outside the way of God. So Gentiles are now coming to faith in Jesus. Jewish people are coming to faith in Jesus, and the Jewish people were saying, you have to be Jewish to be saved, and you have to accept Jesus. And so now the conversation on the table is you have to practice all of our laws and all of our traditions that we have. That tension was creating tension in the churches, and this teaching was coming up that you have to basically give up your culture to join our culture, to live like us, do all of this, and Jesus. And Paul's making the case in Galatians, that's not true. You are not saved by following the law. You're saved only by faith. So faith in Christ means that our works are not how we're saved. Again, depending on your religious background, that that might be a new thought to you, like, I thought I had to be a good person to get to heaven. Fact is, nobody's good, the Bible says. You can't earn your way to heaven. You have to have faith in Christ, and this big word is going to be, you'll be justified, okay? So that catches us up to where we are today. Justification is one of the key components of what God is doing in the salvation process. Justification is a doctrinal word for all of us theology nerds out there. Um, It's a very simple concept. It breaks down to two things that happen with God. There's a great exchange that happens, if you will. Two things. One, Christ took the sins of the people. He paid the price for humanity. So first, he took the sins. There's an exchange there. So everything that you have done and are going to do and are going to do this afternoon when the Packers are probably going to lose again and you're going to do terrible things, you know it. When this happens, it's forgiven by Christ. Then the second thing he does is because Christ was righteous, now you are righteous, which means you are now in right standing with God because Jesus came on earth and he lived a righteous life. So he is giving his life in exchange for yours. So the exchange, this great exchange, isn't just about going to heaven. This great exchange is that there's a difference that's now seen between God and man. God and man have completely changed the story. In simple terms, Jesus got the bill for your life and paid it, and now you get the results. Jesus got the bill for your messed up, screwed up, nasty, stanky, nasty, garbage life that we have lived, and I'm like, Lord, my bill rolls all the way across the street. Like, my bill is so messed up, and I know so many of us here too, that the bill, Jesus like, I paid it, and now you're seeing as righteous, like you've never sinned before, that is the great exchange. That moment in which faith in Christ comes to this is absolutely mind-blowing and shocking because you're like, how is this possible? This isn't possible, and that's why we can't earn our way to heaven. Because if we had the bill, you'd have to do enough to pay the bill. And there's no way you're going to pay your bill. Your sin 
outweighs your good deeds because remember, you were born into the curse. So already you're born with, this is what you owe. And you're like, wait, I didn't do anything. This is what you owe. That now adds on to what we're doing in our own life and the cascade downward just gets worse and worse and worse. And so the weight and the burden of saying, I've got to be a good enough person to get to heaven. I've got to do enough good deeds. Where am I in the sliding scale, God? There is no sliding scale, bro. It's just simply this. You have to accept Christ did it for you. In one way, it's freeing. In the other way, it's kind of terrifying because we're not in control. In one way, you're like, man, this is so great. Like, I, I don't have to worry about those things because Christ has forgiven me. But the other side of it is like, but wait a minute, I want to I say I earned this, right? I, I want the participation medal that every kid gets at every level of sports now all the time. <laughs> I want to get an award that I showed up. Like, sure, I'm not, I'm not as holy as our Pastor Nick over here, but man, man, I'm way above Jason, man. You know, like, <laughs> we're good, right? Like, we want to have that participation medal, but the participation medal, there's one medal that goes to Jesus Christ alone. And then because Jesus has the medal, he walks on each of us who say, I want to be on your team and starts putting it around your neck. You win because I win. You win because I win, which sounds good and it's awesome unless there's a tension of like, what do you mean I can't be good enough to get there? Tension can arise. So to fully understand this doctrine of justification, I want you to go back and we're going to take a look at some very basic, maybe you've heard this before and maybe it's new to you, uh, but the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are something that were given to the Jewish people. Uh, Moses received these from God, and he summarized what a moral life looks like in the way of God. Okay? In the way of God, here are our Ten Commandments. I'll have it on a slide here behind me. Tell me how many of these you keep every single day. You should have no other gods before me. You shall not make uh, idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. Okay, we're going to go around the room. If you would just text me all of your answers of which ones you broke this week. This was a moral code that was given to the people that was the starting point of understanding what does this look like to live a life worthy of the calling to be a follower of God. This was our standing. This was the standard. You can't break these at any time in your life. And in American culture, you do not keep the Sabbath and keep it holy. There is no Sabbath in American culture. We work every day of the week. We cart our kids around to every sporting event there ever was. We do not keep a day of the week set apart for God alone. We take an hour of the week set apart for God. Maybe we do two hours, but a day within he was saying in which you rest your body, your mind, and your spirit is now God's in which you spend that day in worship of him through the rest of your body. It was created for us so that we were healthy humans, and we wonder why we're so jacked up as a culture. We don't even do the simple one, hey, I want you to rest. Like, no, God, I'm way too busy. Like, really? I made you, bro. I know how this works, right? But we don't do it. Why don't we do it? We are breaking a core tenet of what God has created for us, and I am guilty of that one the most. I work on Sundays and Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays. Friday is supposed to be my Sabbath day, and most days I'm answering emails. So I am just as guilty as you are. 
If you look at this list, you're like, man, at least I didn't murder. Jesus comes and teaches us in Matthew. He's like, look, murder isn't about just taking the action. I say to you in the kingdom of God, if you even think against your brother, it's the same as murder. You are in your mind is the same action. Hatred and anger is the same action. So in other words, we can't meet this standard. Goo, which justification is beautiful. When you think that you can meet the standard, you start to push back against it a little bit and say, I hear what you're saying, but I've got some pretty good life stuff going on here, man. I'm super nice. I cut my neighbor's lawn. Um, I don't kick dogs when they go in the bathroom on my lawn. Like, I'm a nice guy. Like, just why don't I get some credit for this? This isn't about that. There is actually, we will talk about our life and then we live, and it's important that we live moralistic or proper lives, not because to save us, but because that's the calling Jesus has for us now, that we exchange our life, as Paul actually says, for his life. So, in big, huge words, disobedience is the righteous judgment of all the earth is perfectly justified by pronouncing guilty sinners worthy of eternal damnation because God is the righteous judge. He is the one of all the earth, and he is justified in pronouncing guilty sinners worth of eternal damnation. God's not mean and sending you to hell. You are sending yourself to hell. Let's stop pointing the finger at him. He's the one that saved you. You and we are the problem. So many of my friends, when we start to talk about faith, and maybe you are on this journey, guys, so I'm not being harsh with this, but I just want to make it clear. When so many of my friends, the problem that they have of accepting Christ or really having a relationship with God is they keep pointing the finger at him for the problem that we're creating. And so justification is a reversal of that thought process. Because if we look and say, God, how can you do that to us? The better question is, why would God even save us? Why would he save you? Like, what's the purpose? You think he gets a lot out of us? Like, look, I mean, look at us. I mean, I think we have some things to offer, but he right now is the God of the universe, just sitting there spinning stars in his hand because he wants to, right? He is the master of further than we can see. We think, oh, look, we got a new telescope. Look at that cool thing up there. He's like, I've seen that forever. You know, like, we are so small, and he is so huge. And so this amazing God which created all this, we're the problem. And so if he is the righteous judge... And he created us as we are image bearers of God and have a place in his story. He then has the opportunity, he has the right to say, you are guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. So God isn't sending us to hell. We were already going. We are already going, guys. But then he says something amazing. He does something crazy. He says, but you're not guilty. Not guilty. You got like the gavel And you know, bang, 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 you're in the courtroom and you're standing before him and he's like, okay, uh, why should I, why should you be set free? And you're like, oh man, I did all these awesome things and I, you know, I went to Mosaic one time and the pastor talked way too long and I never came back. But like, it was a, you know, I did these good things, I was a helpful guy and, you know, whatever our story is, guilty, bang, next. You're like, whoa, 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 wait, 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 how can you call me guilty? Because I did so many good things. I acted like a Christian. I said I was a Christian. My Instagram said I was a Christian. I listened to Christian music at Christmas time. Like, I did nice, good things. 
guilty, bang. That same judge has the ability and power to also say you're not guilty, and that's justification. Is that because of what Jesus did, you're found not guilty. He bangs the gavel and says, you're not guilty because of what my son has done for you. Not guilty, bang, next. That's all it is. That we are in right standing and seen as righteousness before God himself because God says it is so. Unbelievable when you think about how simple it can be. So, justification. It's so key to understanding the true gospel. During the time of Paul when he's writing these books, these letters to Galatia, and in our day today, the gospel or the good news or what does it mean to be saved by God is confusing and being mixed with all sorts of different feelings. In American culture, our, the true gospel of Jesus Christ is being blended with our culture. It's being blended with humanism or that humans are the greatest good. It's being blended with other religions. It's being blended in a million different ways. And all you have to do is flip through your TV or pick up the next book by some author that you're going to see a very convoluted, very confusing story of what does it mean to be saved. Like, if I'm saved and I'm good, God's going to give me lots of money and so I'm rich. But then, therefore, I'm not saved and I'm not good because I don't have any of that, right? Or if I am a, if I'm saved, then God's blessings will reap down on me. And if anything I want, I'll ask and he's going to answer me like a genie in the bottle, just like Aladdin. I rub the bottle and then God's going to pop up, poof, Jason, I love you. What do you want? I'll answer everything that you want. We have all these different gospels that are out there that are being shared. And I just want to go to the word that's been here much longer than all of us. And the true gospel is this, that through Jesus taking the punishment, he was sent as the Son of God in human form so that he as a human became our leader. As our leader and the one who could be the one to take our punishment, he had to live a sinless life, perfect, so that he was righteous, so that he died righteous. If he did not die righteous, or if there's some thought that Jesus sinned, righteousness could not be passed on to us. So death was the penalty for sin. He takes the penalty for sin for us. He declares us not guilty and patches his righteousness onto us because of his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave. He now is not dead. He is alive because he is the Son of God who has redeemed all of humanity. It says in the word of God that he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God, that he's coming back again for all of his believers and for the world. And when he comes back again, he's not coming as a baby in a manger. He's coming back as a king. And he's coming to take his kingdom. Those who simply say, Jesus, I need you, amen. But it's so simple. And so justified is we're in the courtroom again, found not guilty. But the true gospel is so, so important to understand. It is going to get worse. We are going to try to find more ways to make everything okay. And just in my little lifespan, Gen X for life, in my little lifespan and what I have seen, the moral code of just America has shifted a lot. Morality, or what we would say is right or wrong, has shifted. And the moral code in which it has shifted to now says, you choose what you think is right or wrong. Okay? Well, you choose what you think what's right for you is right for you, what's wrong for you is wrong for you. But I just want to make that clear, that's not in the Bible. Jesus didn't say it, God didn't say it. He said, there is my way or there's no way. It's God's code. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. There's times, because I'm part of this culture, that it rubs me 
and I don't like what he says. So if you ever read something in the Bible, like, I don't like that, I don't like some things either. There's some things that push against my, my cultural upbringing, things that push against my likes and my dislikes, and that's where I simply submit to say, God, if you truthfully saved me and justified me and loved me, if this is really true, then I have to think that you're smarter than me and I'm just going to do and try to live the way that you have asked because you've saved me from the huge mess I've created. I've created the mess. So why, what does this all mean for us? What does this all mean? Um, there's an article uh, that I think is just absolutely fascinating. I read it from the Gospel Coalition. Um, there is a quote that is in there uh, from Philip Evison from the Gospel Coalition. Um, he has this essay, What is Justification? And in this, he says, what does the gospel mean to us? What does this all mean? If we truly are saved, what does it mean if you accept this idea of being justified with God or being found not guilty? Uh, number one, and he has scriptures here to support this, we have peace with God in Romans 5.1. The relationship broken by sin is reestablished. So guilty to not guilty. Two, there is a sure and certain hope of a future beyond this present world order in Romans 5, 2, that this isn't just it, that there's something more, that there's a purpose to why God would go through all of this. Why would he go through all of this? Why would Jesus go through all of this if this is just it? There is something more that's here for us as image bearers. Three, assurance is based in the first place not on feelings, there's that word again, feelings, but on the truth that as believers we are righteous before God through Christ's obedience and blood in Romans 8, 30. I asked that question before with relationships, in, out, God likes me, God hates me, God likes me, God hates me, and that can be something terrifying. I remember when I was younger, I asked Jesus in my heart, I think, 733 times because I would do something wrong and I'd feel like God's mad at me or God's left me. And so I would have to go back and say, God, I, I want you back in my life because you have left me. Sometimes we'll use sacraments for that, right? I, I'm going to repent, I'm going to confess, and then I'm going to take Holy Communion or Eucharist or whatever you would call it, and I'm going to take this to fix the relationship again. And so we're trying to piece our ways of getting God back in relationship with us. But when we understand justification, you are guilty or not guilty, and God doesn't change the verdict. And so the feelings I feel when I do something wrong isn't about my status with God. It's that the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, stop sinning. That feeling is the movement of God in my life saying, there's something better for you. Repent of what you're doing and come back to my way. So our status is set, but our feelings are going to move back and forth based on how we're feeling that day. That's good because I tend to be moody. So if you feel that feeling of God's away from me, you've asked Jesus as your Savior and you have faith in Christ and say, I know that he saved me, your feelings are not what you dictate your status with God with. It is already done because your feelings are going to be fleeting, as we just read into this scripture. Four, we're adopted into God's family. You are now part of where we were broken. We're back together again. Five, we belong to the one covenant community. As Gentiles do not need to become Jews in order to join the group, so members of the church is open to all those who trust in Christ alone for acceptance with God. You don't have to start putting a Jesus fish sticker on the back of your car. You don't have to listen to Caleb um, in your car all the time. Uh, you don't have to get a membership card and say, now I'm in Club Jesus. That's not how that works. 
We are all together and beautifully brought together, and we're saved by grace. So whatever your story is here today, friends, however messed up, broken it is, congratulations that you found a church that was built on broken pieces being brought together and made beautiful through the gospel. Once again, that's why I named it Mosaic. Because broken pieces brought together, no matter your story, on the floor is trash, but to an artist is beautiful. And the artist can create a story that only the artist can with broken pieces of pottery. And that's my story and yours. That that brokenness is beautiful and you are part of his story, not because you are worthy or because you are good, but because you called on him as your savior, period. Next, it is liberating message for those who are weighed down with a burden of guilt or despair over their sinful state. When doubts and fears arise and accusations are made, the Christian can remember it is God who justifies who is to condemn me in Romans 8, 33 to 34. The justification is God's alone. You are seen as not guilty. Now, your actions are going to cause issues. If you sin, there are repercussions to sin. Don't think just because God loves me and we're cool, and we'll get to that in a second, <coughs> that I can now go on my way and do whatever I want. Because there's repercussions to sin. If you have been the victim of sin in, in your life, you see the pain that it causes. So the question is, why would we cause more pain to others? Because sin breaks us down. There's nothing good about sin. It doesn't help us. It harms us. And it's like a cancer that breaks into our body that starts to erode us from the inside out. So God says, stop doing that. But however, I am justified, but I'm not going to keep sinning. It doesn't make any sense. Next, we are blessed to know that we do not have to strive for approval or acceptance. If you feel like you don't belong in the body of Christ, my, you know, if you've, the guy or gal, my friends, you know, if I would go, I'm not going to go to your church, Jay, because the walls will fall down. I'm like, probably, because we, re- we renovated this. That's quite possible. Uh, uh, we didn't have, <laughs> we worked hard, but not everything's the code. Uh, you didn't hear that code, guy. Um, if you feel that I just won't be accepted or approved, I understand that feeling. In my circle or in my life, and, and I don't want to speak about everyone, I'm just telling my story for you today, guys, friends, as we look at this beautiful word, is that in my world, I feel that church people were the least to approve me and accept me. I felt in my story, and this is just my story, my story alone, my fights, my disapproval came from Christians. Um, it came from people who weren't kind and how they spoke, they were adamant about what they believed, and I was doing something wrong. I remember this was a fascinating time. Now, I'm going to date myself a little bit, but uh, it was years ago. <laughs> years ago. Um, I was at a church that we were working at at the time, and I was a youth pastor. So I worked uh, family life pastor, worked with birth all the way through college age, but focused on high school ministry. And we had our Youth Sunday, and so our Youth Sunday was a wonderful celebration of time, and so we would have, we had a full youth band. It was a huge church I was at. We had a youth band, and they were just amazing, and, you know, and I got, I got to speak in big church is what we would say. I got to speak in big church. So, you know, I, I went and told a message in the scripture about how God looks at the heart when man looks at the outside appearance, and so I go up on stage in jeans and a button-down shirt. I was the first person to ever wear jeans on that stage. Um, and so I just, I talked about this. I said, I'm part of the youth culture, and in my world, this is not even something we talk about. Like, this is, 
not it. Like, I've got pants on. It was up to me. I'd wear, like, basketball shorts and a hoodie, so we're good, right? So I wore jeans on stage, and I shared this beautiful story about how God looks at the inward appearance. And we had kids coming who were colorful hair before that was even, like, a thing, and piercings and tattoos and all this stuff and all this, you know, all this stuff going on with the youth culture. And I love them. I said, stop looking at their outward and look at their hearts. These kids are changing the world and they're changing our community. And they're the ones who are out proclaiming the gospel. And boy, did I get the hate mail. And after this beautiful message, the question of how dare you disrespect the pulpit by wearing jeans behind it. And I understand where it's coming from because culturally there was a cultural struggle there. And I understand that, um, and, and I hear that, and I, want, I need to be sensitive to that. I understand cultures and different generations. But the thing that broke my heart is that they didn't listen to a word I said. They're fixated on the color and the style of cloth on my bottom half. And for me, being Gen X and super angry at everybody, um, I couldn't comprehend why am I not accepted when I'm sharing a message on a youth Sunday in a youth culture to tell this is every week I'm preaching to your kids just like this. And they are changing the world, and yet this was a fixation. And it was the church people that I started to say, why is it when I go into the streets I feel acceptance, but when I come in here I've got to follow a bunch of rules that are made up? Like, I get there are rules of God, but I, I asked this brother, I said, brother, if you could just show me in the scriptures where the type of fabric uh, matters for preaching because Jesus was homeless and I don't think he changed his clothes before he preached. Acceptance. If you feel like you haven't been accepted inside of the church walls, first of all, I want to say I'm sorry. I apologize for those who aren't going to apologize for that. And let me just say that next step, you are welcome here, my friends. Because we are broken, messed up people just looking to find Jesus and an answer. And yes, you can wear jeans. I'm cool with it. Um, you wear a suit, I might look at you funny. No, you can do that too, I don't care. Uh, finally, the biblical doctrine gives us all the glory to God and leaves the justified sinner lost in wonder, love, and praise. Understand that the idea of justification takes the spotlight off of us and how good we are and puts a spotlight on the beauty of God. And in that beauty of who God is, the spotlight is on him. That's why we start to sing songs. That's why we start to say, how do I become more like this God that now starts the journey of what we say at Mosaic is disciple-making discipleship. Like, I've found that following Jesus is the greatest thing in the world, and I want to show you how to follow Jesus the way that I am. I've learned what things matter, what things don't matter. I've learned the Word of God is the most important, powerful thing in the world, and our traditions, yeah, they change. Beautiful churches all across just this area right now have different ways of doing their traditions. It's not wrong or right. It's just different. It's how they do it. And how we do things here and how we worship and how we sing songs looks different, but this is our version, and it's awesome. What matters is your heart. And so if your heart is there, let's give all the glory to God because you are not good enough to receive it, and let's just worship the way we want to. Let's sing songs. Let's pray. Let's get together. Let's do these things and just worship our master because he has done all the work, and he has saved a very, very guilty group of people, which includes me. So now I want to read this passage again as we start to land this message, and I want you to hear with New Year's this idea of justification. Listen to this. We who were Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified or made right with God or found not guilty by the works of the law or following law, but by faith in Jesus. 
So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified or found not guilty by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified or found not guilty in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I would be a lawbreaker. For though the law, I I died to the law, so that I might live for Christ. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Uh, sorry, the life I now live in the body, I live the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So he makes this powerful statement as he lands this passage. Our, what does this all mean? We are justified by faith. Do we live immoral, sinful lives? He's like, absolutely not. In fact, because you're justified and that Christ gave his life for me, I have a new life, and this new life is that I take on his mission, his purpose, and now my whole focus of my life shifts because if I believe the love of God truthfully is the most powerful thing in the universe, why would I not want to love people more? Our world is so unbelievably hungry for love. The answer of love that everybody wants, whether they admit it or not, is the type of love that God gives which is, I give everything, you don't have to repay me. You are forgiven even though you have wronged me. I give generously to you, you owe me nothing back. The type of love that God is offering us through Christ Jesus, it's so life-changing and world-bending, but nobody wants it because we want love that's all about me. Me, 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 you, you, you. It's all about me all the time. Love me, worship me. We've put ourselves as the idol. We've put ourselves and broken the Ten Commandments. I want, I want, I want, give, 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 me, me, me. But the beauty of justification, when you really embrace the beauty of this passage and this doctrine, is that it flips around and you say, all glory goes to God because I'm found not guilty because of Jesus. That's it. It's super simple. So hard to embrace because we live a life now worthy of the calling that Jesus died for us. So what does this mean? What does this mean? How, what do you take away? What's the sticky point to say, okay, Jason, I hear all this, lots of big words. What does this mean? Faith in Jesus Christ gave you a permanent verdict. Faith in Jesus Christ gives you a verdict that doesn't change. The judge has ruled. It's a pre-ruling because the scriptures tell us that all of us are going to be standing before the God of the universe. Everybody has to give an account for their life. When you give an account for your life, There are people, it says in scriptures, who will curse God to his face. They will curse the God of the universe to their face. It makes me shudder. I'm too scared to do that. They curse God to his face. There is a verdict. Guilty, not guilty. Those who are found guilty, they never accepted the free gift of Christ. They think that they're good enough to get there. I'm sorry, guilty, bang. Those who have faith in Christ, not guilty. Bang. And the beautiful story here between this whole thing, guys, is that when we have faith in Christ, this pre-early judgment, when we get there, it's already paid up, so we don't have a bill when we get there. And so it's beautifully said as this, justification simply means you are not guilty because of Jesus. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. 
for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.